Well, friends, good morning. Today is the last in our series of, of called a thankful thing. However, in order to get to grace, we have to hear some things that are a little difficult, I think, for us to, to want to hear about ourselves. But we're going to do that this morning by looking at Ephesians 2, and Charles just read it, and you can turn to it if you have a Bible with you. But let's pray, and we'll study the Word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. I think it is probably the tradition of just about every American household to get together on Thanksgiving and to sit down and to go around the table and and share what every person at the table is thankful for. There's two things that, if you pay attention, come up pretty frequently in our thankfulness. The first one I'll call wealth. We tend to be very thankful for the things that we have, material items, something to eat, a place to live, clothes on our back. The second thing that we tend to be thankful for is health, our health. And health is a tricky thing, as many of you are aware. When you live in a house with small children, health is definitely a relative term. As long as everyone is breathing and fighting amongst themselves, we just assume everybody is healthy. When we sneeze in public, we are all very quick to dismiss it and say, oh, it's just a little cold. Or, or if we're feeling incredibly self-conscious, we'll say, oh, it's, it's allergies. When a sports player gets hurt, we don't see that as unhealthy we tell them, brush it off. So unhealthy to us tends to mean things like COPD, caused from smoking, or morbid obesity, or cancer. We like to distinguish levels of health. And because we do that, our scripture passage this morning is a particularly difficult one to wrestle with. Because Paul writes, as for you, you were dead, dead, in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Well, who, who on earth is Paul talking to? He can't possibly be talking to any one of us because, because we're not dead. We're very much alive. Assuming that alive means that we can put our breath on a mirror. But the reality is Paul is talking to us. Very much the same way that he was talking to the people of Ephesus. He wasn't unclear or, or vague at all. He didn't say that we were sick in our transgressions. He didn't say... Well, we have, we have a little cold in our transgressions. He says we're dead. We were spiritually dead. We're in the morgue. We're not in the hospital. Well, that is not the view that, that most of us want to have of ourselves or of the world. When things like the bombing in Paris happened, we tend to view that as a, as a sickness, right? That, that wasn't us. That, that was over there, and it's contained, and... And they're working on it. We assume that, that with the right education and the right social structure and, and the right politics that, that we can get over 
this, this little cold, and we can be filled with health once again. We falsely believe that we're capable of, of choosing good or evil, and, and with just the right amount of effort, with the right amount of training, we can just choose to be good most of the time. Well, when we look at it as a training issue, then we start looking for a teacher. We do this in all parts of our lives. When you're looking to learn how to play, play the piano, you look for a teacher. When you're looking for a fitness routine, you look for a trainer. You're looking for somebody who knows more about something than you do to help you learn how to do it. Now, that's why so many people see Jesus as a good teacher, not as the Savior of the world. Because they think that if they just, if they just learn about Jesus, that Jesus will teach them how to make those good choices and, and do the right things. But the struggle that we face is that we don't actually, and let's just be truthful about this, we don't actually want to admit that we're not capable of saving ourselves. But the truth is, we're not. Every human has been affected in every area of life so that no part of the human person, mind, emotions, conscience, will, is unaffected by sin. We don't want to admit to this kind of defeat. We are not defeatist people. We don't want to admit to this kind of hopelessness. This is a much more intense version of the defeat that so many people feel when they finally give up and decide that they have to go to the doctor or to the hospital. None of us ever wants to admit that we are incapable of handling things on our own. But the truth is, if we're honest, we don't really, we don't really do all that much on our own. We don't. Paul says that we're not only dead, we're also enslaved to the ways of the world over which we have very little control. Think about, for a minute, how much of your life is informed by the culture around you, by society's attitudes and their habits and preferences. A couple weeks ago, I, I was telling one of our families the very true story of how I took my daughter a couple years back to Taylor Swift's Red Tour. The Red Tour. The banners were red. The set was red. The tickets had the word red, R-E-D, on them. Red tour, red tour. We go to Amelie Arena, 30,000 people. Everybody's wearing red, except for me. I wore green. And I want to tell you, friends, it was not because, it was not because I was trying to make some kind of statement, and it was certainly not because I was trying to mortify my daughter, which I accomplished in spades, in one night, had I known, had I paid attention, I assure you that I would have worn red because that's what the culture dictates. Every day, every day, we do things that we both know and things that we are unaware of that shape the culture around us. And we, in turn, are shaped by that culture, whether we want to admit it or not. The other thing is that we can't entirely escape the work of the devil, who is very real and very present in the world today. He's a liar, and he's a murderer. And five minutes of the evening news will reveal to you that he is alive, 
and active in the world today in countless and heartbreaking ways. So as if all of this wasn't frustrating and discouraging enough, there's also condemnation that Paul talks about. Paul writes that we are deserving of wrath. When you hear this, you got to be looking around and you got to be asking yourselves, are you kidding me? Have you met me? Do I really deserve wrath? God's got to be talking about somebody else. Well, when the bombs went off in Paris last week, what was the response from France? It wasn't, uh, who, who, me? Did this just happen to me? No, it was, we're going to find the perpetrators, we're going to punish them, we're going to kill them. That's wrath. And Paul says that that's what we actually deserve for our sins. One of the many reasons that, that we fight so hard not to go to the doctor is because we don't, we don't want to hear the truth. Let's just get real about that. We don't want to hear that because sometimes the truth is extremely unflattering and sometimes it's just downright scary. So rather than confront the truth, we decide we'll just handle it ourselves. So I want you to think about this. Assume that the news is going to be that you have cancer and you feel it, you've WebMD'd it, which by the way, if you WebMD anything, it's going to be cancer. But... But you're certain that it's cancer. But you're not going to go to the doctor because you don't want to hear that truth. It doesn't help your situation. It doesn't change anything just because you don't want to hear that truth. Very rarely will something like that turn out in our favor. Usually it just makes our situation worse. So likewise, we don't walk around wanting to see ourselves as sinners, as slaves to the world, under the wrath of God. What we would prefer to say is that we have a little cold. You know, we, we make mistakes every now and then, but, but we'll get over it. Somewhere, though, deep in our hearts, in the pit of our souls, we know that that's just simply not true. Now, I don't want this sermon to be a huge downer for you going into one of the most wonderful holidays of the year, so let me offer this piece of encouragement to you. Cheer up, dear friends. You are much worse than you think you are. (laughs) And, And I can say this to you. I can say this to you with a good heart and a good spirit about it because I have great news for you this morning. Here it is. But, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here are the two of the greatest words of the gospel. But God. But God. They're especially great when you realize that God didn't have to do anything. He could have left us in our natural state, dead, enslaved, condemned. But then come these two little amazing words. Here is the whole gospel, the good news. But God. They tell us what God has done and what God will do to intervene in our hopeless situation. So if we are dead, 
What can God possibly do? What can God do with something that has no life, that is not breathing, that is not active in the world? While we were dead, meaning that we were so far gone that we weren't even trying to get our house in order, God made us alive with Christ. We get a whole new spiritual life. Verse 6 tells us that we've been raised up with Christ. We've been seated with him in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying here is that we share in Christ's resurrection, his ascension, and his reign. We were dead, enslaved, and condemned, but because of Christ, we're alive, we're free, and we're enthroned. And why would God do this? What is so awesome about us that God would do this? Nothing. Nothing. Notice that it's not because of anything related to us. It wasn't prompted by our merits. It's entirely prompted by the character of God. That's why we read about his love and his mercy and his grace and his kindness in this passage. We are saved entirely because of the undeserved favor of God who has responded to us despite our desperate condition. And it wasn't like this was a one-off decision. It wasn't like God was having a good day and he said, oh, I'll just, I'll just forgive them all. Those who have been in my Old Testament class will tell you that God has had an unwavering commitment from the beginning, from the beginning of creation to love us, to give us life, to bring us to places of restoration and wholeness for thousands upon thousands of years especially, especially when we were dead as a doornail. We were, we were so far in sin that we thought that the grace of God could not reach us. And yet, time and time again, in the Old Testament and straight into the New Testament, God finds us where we are and brings us back to life. So yes, dear friends, you are indeed worse than you think you are. But God's grace is greater than you could ever possibly imagine. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, says Paul, so that none of us can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a plan for us. Paul says repeatedly in these last verses that, that all that we have in Christ is by grace. It's, it's, if we have been made right in God, it has nothing to do with us. Paul even says that the good works that we do as believers are a result of God's initiative. God puts us in places to do good things for him. We can't even take credit for them either. They are what God has prepared in advance for us to do. He applies this to us by saying, Therefore, nobody can boast. None of us can brag about this. Since we can take none of the credit, we can do none of the boasting. Those of us who trust Christ don't have to pretend that we're better than we really are. We can face that truth about ourselves because in our sin, we found God's grace, and that's more than enough. So we don't get to take any credit for it. But we can, we can be thankful. We can be thankful for God's love, for the love that he shows to us 
in giving us his son Jesus who showed us what it means to be generous and to be kind, to want the best for humanity and to sacrifice. And we can be thankful for God's grace. As we just learned again, grace is not something that we earn or buy. It's not something that we deserve. It's a gift. And the only way that grace is truly grace is that that gift is given with no strings attached. While we were still sinners, when we were still in the morgue, God sent his only son to die for our sins. That's grace. Being thankful for such a gift is a good place to start this week, but there are things that we can do that you can do this week to express your thanks. One of those things is going to be to show grace to others. Now, Thanksgiving brings with it all sorts of challenges, from travel hassles to family dinners to crowded grocery stores and burnt turkeys. So choose, choose grace. Choose grace. Not because somebody deserves it. Not because you're a better person. But because when you needed it, God gave it to you. No strings attached. We can also spend time with God in prayer this week. So often we, we think that the best time to go talk to God is in our hour of need. That, that we just call up the big guy and he just shoots down whatever it is that, that we need in that moment. Why not take some time this week to, to give thanks? To give thanks for the hope that you have because of the grace that you've been given. In all the hustle and bustle of Thanksgiving, no matter where you find yourself, whether that's here or traveling, stuck in an airport somewhere, a snowstorm out in the Midwest, stay alert because you're going to have opportunities where you might be able to share the good news of God's grace with a friend or a neighbor or a stranger who yet does not know that the grace of God is available to them as well. You may have an opportunity to change someone's life forever. You may have an opportunity to introduce them to life when they thought they were dead. And the best way for you to express true thankfulness is to pass on what you have already received to somebody else. So this Thanksgiving, we're alive, we're free, we're enthroned in the kingdom of God. We are blessed beyond measure, and for that, we can all be eternally thankful. Let's pray. Holy God, we confess that we don't want to see ourselves as dead. We sure don't want to see ourselves as sinners. And quite frankly, we're not really confident that we need a whole lot of grace. Forgive us our pride. Forgive us our deceit. Help us to see ourselves as ones who are blessed beyond measure. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the love poured out for us in Christ Jesus. And we ask that you would equip us this day, that when we go out into the world, we can share that grace with others. In your name we pray. Amen.